Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim, and Chris on today's French Open Round 4 Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Runa sets up a showdown with Rude. Sabalenka seals a meeting with Svitolina. And we unveil the winner of our Boodles competition. Kim, today is the 5th of June and we are here to catch up on round four of the French Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. We have reached the midway point in Roland Garros. We already have some of our quarterfinalists and we are recording. We are just taking a breather, aren't we, from Suzanne Longland today, which has just gone on and on and on. And we've still only had two matches complete. I know, and I am just chuffed that it's Sara Cerebus Tormo that has provided <laughs> the uh, the longest match of the tournament. I mean, who else would it be? She's absolutely lived up to her billing. Yes, um, I mean, I'm not totally not shocked about that. Uh, the one thing I was actually realising whilst this match against Haddad Meyer uh, was going on was, you know, there's been all this talk this week around the night session. Do we put a ladies match on the night session? This worry that fans won't get their money's worth with one ladies match kim i've realized what the solution to all these issues are stick sara cerebes tormo on there give her the evening slot yeah she'll definitely give the punters their money worth i mean <laughs> point per penny it's probably the best uh, rate you're gonna get i, think. I mean that's the key statistic isn't it that's the key statistic <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we'll be uh, dissecting her match a bit later on um there's still some action uh going on as we record Iga Svontek is out on court um, but we'll be rounding up today and yesterday's action from mm. the fourth round at Roland Garros and very excitingly after our break we will be revealing the winner Ooh. of our very exciting competition for the Boodles so uh, yeah don't want to miss that and actually less excitingly we've got a collector set update uh, for everyone who took part including ourselves uh, which I'm not we'll, let's not spoil it for now but it's been a bit of a shocker, hasn't it, from from everyone involved? Yeah, but there's still a few players that could make <laughs> or break, but it definitely isn't one of the strongest uh, no. showings from, from everyone. We very nearly had, if Runa had lost today, we had had all our collector set player picks go out by the midway point. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> it's the less said the better. Shocking. Maybe um players will have to like try and get us not to pick them. It might be a curse <laughs> of collector Ooh, set. Oh yes, the collector yeah. set curse. Oh, is that a thing? Oh, could it be. Is. Maybe we've started it here in, at the French Open. Well, one player that is still in just is Holger Runa. Uh he did have to battle through in five sets in a last uh set tie break up against Francisco Serendolo today um, but he lives to fight another day he is into the quarterfinal I mean Serendolo is one of those sort of stalwart players I suppose mm. that can be quite tricky to play against um, and 
I mean, I, at one point I was thinking, oh, this is just, yeah, collector set all over. But um, I guess, you know, it was a long, long, long match, five sets. But to be honest with you, there was, it's kind of being overshadowed a bit by a very sort of controversial um, point um, in in the match, which, yeah, needs a lot of, I sort of uh, re-looking at, I think, to see how, how you want to, you know, which side you want to fall on, perhaps. Yeah, because this, this, this point happened right in the middle of the match in the third set really pivotal moment in the context of the match and uh it was what one two deuce and uh there was a the point went against surrendolo in the end but he had called that um there was a, a double bounce on the other side of the net by runa the ball had gone up in the air serendola was at the net and the umpire I'm still a little bit confused, but I think he called the let because he didn't realise, he didn't see the double bounce and then a ball kid started to go onto the court. So he called a let, but then I think he called a hindrance because I think Serendolo had had asked the umpire to say that was a double bounce whilst he thought the play was going on. And it was just all this confusion at a really big moment and it ended up being the point to Runa when... Arguably, it should have been Serendolo's. Yeah, looking back at it, I did think it was a double bounce, and I did think that mm. Rune, Runa like could, you know, probably have seen that. But I guess you know you're going to play on until someone says otherwise. Um, perhaps that's not the most sporting thing to do, but maybe genuinely he didn't see it. Um, you know, it's easy to, you know, people make mistakes. It's easy enough, and Serendolo by verbally kind of interjecting um the, the umpire's given him the hindrance and he's lost the point which is pretty frustrating for for serendolo i mean it was quite early on in that third set but he did go and lose that that set but you know managed to, to clinch the fourth and, and take it into you know deep into a fifth so i don't think it necessarily well maybe didn't change the outcome of the whole match but i mean maybe it did throw serendolo off a i mean bit. he looked so distracted and despondent in the kind of the immediate aftermath i mean he was broken he did manage to he did manage to break back but um yeah it it just sort of reminded me that i think like umpires certainly i think over the last few months on the tour have been under real or under a real inspection you know we spoke about kind of leani i think a month ago on, on the pod and his kind of theatrics and particularly when we've come into the clay season, looking at marks on the court and not getting that right. And when we come to double bounce situations, I feel like there's just a very easy solution in terms of get the video review on the, on the, on the tablets or the monitors that the, the umpires have access to. It, It feels like a no brainer. And I just hate seeing these moments happen that kind of interrupt the flow of the match. And, you know, you could argue, yes, but it's up to Serendolo to kind of not let this not let this distract them. And that's part of the game. But I just think that we need technology implemented in beyond just Hawkeye outside of, of the clay courts. But but that is coming in soon to just clear up these calls and get on with it. Yeah, we need some sort of VAR for these issues. Mm. And you could also do that with, um, you know, balls going into the crowd, whether things are intentional or not. And, you know, that will well, we'll get onto that a bit later as well. But yeah, I certainly think, you know, most other sports nowadays do have that facility and it does seem like tennis yeah. is lacking when when we don't. I think it would be great, I think, from like a fan fan point of view, actually, if it was like a VAR check, get the players to do the little, the little you know, signal to, to the umpire on the court. I think, you know, the fans would love to see that. They would engage with that. And I think it would just add a little bit more interaction there as opposed to confusion, which is, I think, 
what we ended up with at this point in the match. Yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, because I think a lot of the fans are just a bit bemused and, you know, they... They, they didn't maybe see it exactly or they're not obviously up as so close. So they benefit from being able to rewatch it, wouldn't they? From your point of view, I mean, you, you spoke about whether Runa was aware of the double bounce or not, or, or even if it is his own responsibility, is that up to the umpires? What's your what's your take on, on double bounces? And is that the player's responsibility or, or do you think that should be just left to the umpire? I think it's fair and sporting for the player to, you know, openly admit it. But I suppose if there's nothing in the rules that says you have to admit to, yeah, then I mean, dog eats dog, you know, you want to just win by any means, Mm. don't you? So, but I don't think it's really in in the spirit of the game to have a clear double bounce and not say anything when it's, you know, as, as clear as mud sometimes. So, if it was me, I would own up because I'd feel very guilty afterwards. But not everyone is going to have the same moral standards, maybe, or perspective. But, I mean, that was, you know, a bit of drama in that match. And it did go down to the wire. But Holger Runa coming through in the end. Uh, he will be up against a fellow Scandinavian in Casper Ruud, who is back into the quarterfinals of Roland Garros. And he had a, a bit more of a straightforward win. It was uh, straight sets, but, you know, quite, quite close score lines. And that was against Nicholas uh, Jarry uh, of, of Chile, who they'd only played not so long ago uh, in, in Geneva, uh, where Jarry had, had won. So Casper Reed was able to reverse that. Could have been a bit of a, a you know, a bogey match, yeah. perhaps, having just lost to him a few a few weeks uh, back. Not not even that. But yeah, he managed to get the better of him in the end. I had this match on upset alert because Nicholas Jarry has been in great form. Um, he showed that, I think, particularly on, on the clay in South America. Granted, European clay is a little bit of a different proposition. But um, yeah, Casper Ruud did very well, I think, to... It was a really tough, competitive match straight from the off. You know, there were no kind of gimme sets like there were in the Runa Serendolo match where it you know was a little bit more kind of topsy-turvy. Rude really, I think, had to keep his concentration on from point one. And, you know, it was so impressive to see him, I think, you know, mix it up. I liked him using the drop shots, bringing Jarry into the net. And I think he served particularly well as well. And um, although I was, you know, looking forward to that kind of quarterfinal with, with Runa versus Rude and thinking... You know, given the the recent form of of both of them, you would have thought Holger Rune goes in as the, you know, as a slight favourite there. But um, you know, with this result, I think, and and also, you know, his 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 previous at, at, at the French Open, Casper Ruud's going to be very high, I think, on on confidence against an opponent who might be a little bit tired and might be a little bit injured actually, because towards the end of of his match against Serendolo, there was a little bit of physical fatigue settling in. Yeah, I think Rude sort of flew under the radar coming in because he hadn't had a very good start to the year. We didn't think he was going to repeat his, you know, heroics of last year. But actually, yeah, he's a lot fresher. He seems to have played himself into some form. Really good stats in this match today and mixing it up nicely. And I think, yeah, like you said, Rude is probably going to be physically... but worse for wear. I, I know he's, um, you know, they're both young, aren't they? Rune, Rune especially. Mm. But yeah, I think it could be, a, I think it could go deep again, Rune, Rude. I know that obviously they have had that, that previous situation in the dressing room, the yah moment um, mm. <laughs> that um, I think has been put to bed. But certainly I think when the stakes are going to be on in a quarterfinal, I'd love to know what Casper Rude would 
make of of a double bounce that happens that that when when rune planes on because although they're both from i feel the same part of the world arguably their approach i think to maybe sportsmanship is is a little bit different mm-hmm. because you know yeah. for rune it's like i'm going to leave it up to the the umpire but i think casper rude is certainly in that carlos alcaraz rafa nadal roger federer territory of i'll you know i'll be the honest man and and I'll be the honest man with every point. So I think there's going to be quite a contrast there. And in this environment, I think it could get it could get quite spicy again, I think. Yeah. Well, I think, Joel, you'd probably quite like a bit of spice, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, let's see what other matches we've got in that section of the draw. We do have Dimitrov and Sasha Zverev. They are about to step onto court as we're recording this. So uh, that is still to happen. And we've also still got... Um, Yoshito Nishioka and uh, Thomas Martin Echeverry. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, they're still waiting for Sviontek to, to finish and she's only just started. So yeah, long, long day out on long, long court. It's only getting your money's worth if you had a long, long ticket today. <laughs> uh, so we'll, well, who are you going for those matches? Famous Ooh. last words, Joel. I'm going to say, for some reason, I'm just going to say Dimitrov. Dimitrov. <laughs> and I'm going to say Dimitrov and, and Nishioka. I think it's going to be a bad day for the South Americans. So, um, yeah, I'm arguably going for the underdogs in both of those both of those matches. Um, but I am really fascinated to see how Zverev Dimitrov gets on in the night session mm. because, um, yeah, Dimitrov, another player who's just sort of been, I think, flying under the radar. No one's really expected much from him. Got to the second week for the first time in a, in quite a while at a Grand Slam, and Zverev, arguably another player who probably there was not as much expectation on him given what we've seen of late on the tour so they will feel like this is their moment and a big opportunity really to get to a well to get to to a semi-final at the very least um and Echeverry and Nishioka will be thinking the exact same thing yeah absolutely and I do love how Dimitrov does just throw in kind of a, mm. a run at a slam you know here it's there, just and everywhere. so random isn't it it's like it could come out at any moment but i i absolutely love it when it does yeah just as we're starting to forget him he's like hang on i am still here i can still <laughs> do this uh which is nice i've always you know been quite a fan of dimitrov mm. uh he's a nice bloke so i you know wish him well in that match uh, but let's look at the women's side um because we do have a quarterfinal set up between uh beatrice haddad meyer and ons yabor um We've also got Coco Goff waiting for the winner of Svantec and Serenko. Uh, slightly different uh, manner of, of victory for Haddad Meyer mm. and Jabor earlier. Obviously, Haddad Meyer went almost four hours to beat Zara Sarimas Torbo, whereas On Jabor was was through in in straight sets. Um, what did you make though of of On Jabor? Let's 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 talk about Jabor first. She was up against Bernarda Perra, American player who has won some clay court titles um previously had beaten on Jabor before um Jabor came through this one but it wasn't the greatest tennis in the world was it no the particularly I think on both of them on their on their serves was was not great I think just Perez struggled on on serve the most um you know she was broken eight times converted for just four of, of 12 break points yeah, that first set was a real like who can hold serve, who can hold serve wins, you know, wins the set. And certainly for Jabor, you know, going deeper into the competition, she's going to need to certainly up those percentages um, on her first and, and second serves because it just wasn't pretty at times. And I get that, you know, at the French Open on the stadium courts, there is issues with wind and, and dealing with the, you know, the elements. But 
you're going to need to be able to to get the fundamentals right. And I think maybe your ball was a little bit lucky that Pera was having seemingly an off day that wasn't able to capitalize on on your ball's struggles. So, you know, there's I think plenty of work to be to be done there. And I think that's certainly a shot I'm going to be looking at in her quarterfinal match against Haddad Meyer because I think Haddad Meyer as a returner is one who can make you pay. And, you know, if your ball's serve is not on song, I could quite easily see Haddad Meyer making further history at the French Open. Yeah, she has become the first Brazilian into the French Open quarterfinals since 1968. So it's been a long, mm. long time of asking. And definitely, I think she's got the potential to go further, especially if Jabor is struggling on serve. Um, but yeah, um, Haddad Meyer's match today against SST or Saras Rubis Tormo. <laughs> um, three hours, 51 minutes, longest match on the WTA Tour this year. Longer than Sviantec on court in total up to round four at the French Open, which it, to me is the most mind-blowing stat I've heard over the last week or so. Yeah, I think Sviantec, before today, she was on three hours 31, something like that, for her three matches. And yeah, this match alone <laughs> has exceeded that. I mean, it's mm. just just crazy. Um, and I mean, 10 of the games went to at least one juice. I think 79 yeah. rallies went nine shots or more. There's some great stats people are pulling out of the match. It was a war of attrition just watching it, I think. Um, but yeah, Haddad Meyer is a great, she's a great competitor. She's a fierce competitor, like very much like Cyrus Cerebes Tormo, and you never get a free point. And um, again, it didn't feel like the serve, there were no quick games. The serve was not doing a lot, um, again, in this match, but probably for, but more on kind of different reasons, not necessarily it not going in, but just. Again, these players just love to get into a baseline rally, then going to play with a lot of, uh, you know, margin um, on their shots. But, you know, Haddad Meyer, I think, is the one who is, she is a little bit more fearless in those moments where she's not just going to put it back in play. She's going to go for the, you know, she's going to go for her shots. And, you know, there were times towards the end of that match where they didn't necessarily come off. And you could see that, you know, you could see the nerves after, you know, how much effort and, and time that had been put in on the court. You could see that really kind of affecting some of her, I would say quite rudimentary kind of ground strokes. But yeah, she was able to get it done in the end. And I think just having that sort of aggressive mindset, you just need that against Sarah Cerebus Tormo. You know, the ball is coming back. You know, it's going to come back with that kind of loopy, heavy top spin. You just need to hit through it and, in the end, Haddad Meyer was able to do that. So do you think Haddad Meyer, who, I mean, who are you going for, Haddad Meyer or Jabor? Do you think Haddad Meyer is going to be knackered after today? Or do you think she's just that sort of attritional quality is just going to outlast Jabor? I think, I think we're going to have, a, I think, first of all, we're going to have a great matchup. I think, yeah. you know, they are both, you know, they're both great friends, I think, off the court, play with the right spirit. I think Haddad Meyer is going to have a bit of a crowd there. And I think Yabor, you know, the entertainer that she is, is also going to have the support. So I think it's going to be a fascinating battle. I think as much as I love Haddad Meyer, and I could, I still could see her springing an upset, but I give the slight edge to, to Yabor given, you know, how far she's gone in this tournament before. You know, that's a big contrast, I think, with, with Haddad Meyer given, you know, this is the first time I think she's gone beyond... You know, round two at, at a Grand Slam and I think the experience might show 
in that quarterfinal. Um, you know, you bought obviously two Grand Slam finals last year. Um, I think she knows what it takes. And uh, she, I think, I think she has been, from what I've seen of both of them, I feel like she has also been played. I've seen the better tennis from her over the last week or so. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with your board, but I wouldn't be surprised if it, if she gets pushed all the way. And just going back to Sara Cerebus Tormo, she was involved in a bit of a controversy uh, in the doubles, which she, she's mm. still in the doubles um, with her partner, Marie Buskova. But they were up against a uh, team from, from Japan. It was uh, Kato and Sudi Jadi. Um, and there was a default. Uh, because Kato had hit a ball girl with a ball that she'd sent cross court. Um, it, the, you know, the, the ball girl was upset by it. Uh, the umpire originally gave Kato just a warning, but then Buskova and Sariva Stormo sort of piped up and said, hang on, you know, she's hit a ball girl there. That's not allowed. Mm. She should be disqualified, um, which she was. The, uh, the, the decision was changed and Kato and Suti Jadi was you know they were they were disqualified so what do you make of that because originally the umpire had obviously made one decision and then the players protesting has changed that decision do you think that was the right call do you think the umpire should have stuck with their like cut gut instinct or do you think you know if you're hitting a ball kid even if it wasn't intentional which i don't think it was by kato um you know you, you think that is it like you've got to accept with, the consequences yeah, the rule is a rule it's a really tough one and i think the rules at the moment are very black and white and for me, looking at this situation on video, I don't think it was a default. Maybe at most it it warranted a warning. But to think like a, a player is going to lose their prize money for, from what I see, a non-aggressive hit across the net to help to, to put the ball onto the other side of the net where those players are serving. I don't think there was anything intentional about it. And to me... If it's not intentional, I don't agree that a default can be given. I just don't think it's fair. I think the the, the challenge is that, regardless of um, intent or not, the 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 ball girl I think was was crying on on the court, and I think that's what Suribes Tormo told the, the umpire, and I think that's why they had a second look at it. But I think for me, my gut feeling was it wasn't a default. Yeah, I think I agree with you in the sense that it was clearly you know, she was just trying to help the ball team mm. out by by putting the ball back and and it's going to make mean players that are kind of going to be reluctant to do that I think aren't they I know. in case anything might happen or um, a gust of wind might suddenly take the ball uh, where it shouldn't be but I, I think at the same time I guess players like Buskova and Sariva Stormo they know what happened with Novak Djokovic at, at mm. the US Open they've seen other instances where people have been defaulted are they entitled to kind of argue the point and say well hang on a minute why are you not upholding that rule I thought I thought this was the rule um it's not perhaps not the most sort of sporting or fair to try and like get your opponents uh disqualified when a decision had already been made but I I do kind of see where they were coming from um maybe if they'd been up because I think they were 3-1 down in that set if they'd been 3-1 up they might have like let it slip but you know I mean they are it is a you know it's a knockout competition and you know you've got to take every advantage you get and some mm. players you know will be like that and really take that to the edge and I think in this moment uh, Buskova and SST did that and I I don't think there are 
I think there are other players who wouldn't have taken it that far. But to me, it is fascinating because I, I do think then the rules need to be looked at or maybe it needs to be taken on a more case-by-case basis because I, I, I think there needs to be some clarity over intent and what that means. And and, and maybe there needs to be some more education around, well, if you, if you hit a ball towards a, a, someone on court that's not a player in that direction, you, you know, you run the risk. And... I watched Kim a, a video of, of Roger Federer doing something similar, you know, like uh, quite a few years ago at the Australian Open when he sort of was returning a ball to a ball kid in the middle and I, I think it hit him on the head. And it was just fascinating how the commentators were saying, oh, that would be a a prize for a prize for the um, for the for the ball kid, a souvenir for the ball kid. But I think nowadays you would look back on that and think he would have been lucky not to get defaulted there. Yeah, I mean that seems ridiculous now almost that that um that that happened in the, in the way it did because in recent years, yeah, my experience is that anyone who hits a ball kid in any sort of capacity is is get, mm. going home. Um, but I guess it maybe it depends on that initial reaction by by the ball kid how the yeah, umpire because the ball jokes, kid yeah. the ball kid was smiling in that in that instance mm. and uh, and in in the instance at the French Open the the, the ball girl was 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 crying. Mm. So again. The, do those factors come into play in and influence decisions? Because that, to me, was the big influencer in the in the outcome. But I don't think a rule should be influenced by something like how a ball kid reacts, because mm. you might start getting, I don't know, ball kids biasing yeah. results if they know that that's how it's interpreted. So I think it has to be a blanket rule to, to kind of make it fair. And it might mean that in some cases, something unintentional leads to mm. something you know, unfortunate like a disqualification. But yeah, I think there's definitely perhaps needs to be conversations around that. Um, just before we go to an ad break, Joel, um, let's quickly touch upon Coco Goff because she is also through today after a victory over Schmiedlava. Uh, 7-5-6-2 straight sets for Coco Goff. Um, she has a really amazing record, actually, against players outside the top 50, uh, Schmiedlava being one of them. Her last 37 matches against players outside the top 50, she has won. Um, so... Clearly, she's not one to lose to to lower ranked opponents of that sort of uh, caliber and and rank, which is an impressive, consistent record. I guess she just needs to work on players uh, slightly higher ranked now. But do you think she's got the game to go much further? I mean, given the fact that she's likely to have Iga Svantec in the next round, do you think she's played her way into sort of challenging in that possible encounter at all? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to know because I, I do think Coco Goss in this in this sort of odd situation of yeah she's good enough to beat as you said like players outside the the top fifty and and even above that but once you get to the the creme de la creme I still think there's there's work to be done there and I don't know how much we can take from you know defeating Schmiedlava you know in what was I think relatively comfortable in the end so we'll just have to wait and see but um. I think she's going to be fired up there. I think, you know, she obviously loves playing in, in Paris. I think she was speaking earlier about how she's been learning a bit of French. Um, I don't know if that was a way to kind of get the crowd on her side, but I think it's going to be a big step up in in competition now. And um, I think she's going to have to raise her level, even though she showed a pretty, a pretty solid game today. 
Yeah. And actually, breaking news, Joel, uh, Shriontek has indeed gone through to the quarterfinals. So Goff will definitely mm. be playing her. Uh, Lesia Serenko has unfortunately retired in their encounter. 5-1 down in the first set. So not not entirely sure at the moment exactly what the nature of that A was. Serenko retirement? It's a real shame, but it's not the first time we've seen that, is it, Joel, no. from her? So, uh, yeah, well, well, we'll see on that. Hopefully she's, uh, she's okay. But let's take a quick break now. Uh, we'll be back in the second half, looking back on day eight and also unveiling our Boodles competition winner, plus giving that very uh, important update on collector set. So do not go anywhere. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to day eight of Roland Garros. Well, actually, before we get on to day eight, the Boodles competition Ooh, winner. Yes. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who's entered the competition. Um, we had a lot of interest, as I'm sure you can imagine. It's such a fantastic opportunity, fantastic prize. Um, but Joel, would you like to do the drum roll <laughs> and announce our very special yes. winner? Yes, drum roll, big drum roll. Our first ever Tennis Weekly Podcast competition winner of a pair of tickets to the Boodles is Amisha. Amisha, congratulations. Uh, you'll be taking Vikesh. We will be reaching out to you by Twitter DM, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But yeah, Amisha, congratulations to you. You have got a couple of couple of passes to go see the boodles who knows maybe you'll get to meet the tennis weekly podcast crew as well i mean what a what a what a win that would be right <laughs> well we look forward to seeing you at the boodles and uh yeah congrats amisha and vakesh uh well done i hope you're looking forward to your experience and we will be in touch with further <laughs> details but thank you to everyone who entered we hope to bring you some more opportunities in the future uh so maybe you'll uh get lucky on those uh, instead uh, but let's go on to day eight um, at Roland Garros so back onto the clay and truth be told not too many shocks on either the men's and ladies sides um, from day eight very sort of straightforward matches a lot of straight sets um, who caught your eye we had straight sets for Sitsipas, Alcaraz and Djokovic and a four set win for Hatchinov Anything from those um, results, Joel, that you particularly um, struck by? 
Yeah, it's it's tough. I think the only one I could real really say I was very well, I was actually very impressed by was was Carlos Alcaraz against Lorenzo Massetti because in our last pod, Chris actually had that match on on upset alert. Massetti hadn't dropped a set going into um, his match against Alcaraz. You know, he completely dismantled Cam Norrie in the previous round. So I thought that was going to be a lot tougher and tighter than it was. So for Carlos Alcaraz to do that and to play the way he did, lots of drop shots, lots of winners, all the typical eye-catching shot making um, on display, it just feels like, at the moment anyway, we are getting closer and closer towards Alcaraz Djokovic. However, I will say Stefanos Sissipas also looked equally good against Sebastian Offner, the qualifier um later later in the day so that's going to be for me what that is the pick i think for me of the the quarterfinals on the on the men's side sisipas alcaraz both coming through in straight sets they're both going to be fresh they're both going to be raring to go and it seems to be to me like they're both you know near enough the peak of their playing powers at the moment yeah and that will be quite an interesting one because sisipas has never actually beaten alcaraz but he's also never lost a quarterfinal at a grand slam Oh, so, so which, which way is the I news? Know. The how, does the mind, how does the mind work with that? <laughs> yeah, I've been quite impressed with past this tournament. He seems mm. quite focused and, and relaxed, which is a bit of a, a change to sometimes yeah. what we normally see. His box seemed relaxed. I mean, his his, mm. his dad is out. Of, I saw he's actually been smiling for once. Um, he always seems so serious and so uh, in, in sort of in the zone that um, I think it's actually quite nice to see you know, that, that dynamic working, it seems to be working well with, you know, Mark Philippus is not there anymore. Maybe that's just kind of concentrated them that tiny bit more. And um, yeah, Sissipas to me is, a, is, has been free, has been free flowing. I will say though, you know, Offner qualifier, arguably, you know, that is, you know, quite a, you know, qu- it's going to be quite a step up, I think, from that mm. to them facing Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent point there. It is going to be a difference. And Alcaraz has been playing, yeah, very, very well. Another player who's been playing very well is Novak Djokovic. Um, He dismissed uh, Juan Pablo Varillas. So he's got Karen Hatchinov next. Uh, Djokovic, yeah, just... Well, it's the same scoreline exactly as as the Alcaraz match, actually. He's sort of sailed through, hasn't he, without mm. um, dropping a set. I think we thought he might actually have some teething issues at the start of the tournament, but it's just not been the case. So, I mean, I can't see him losing to Kachanova. He's They've played so many times and I, I don't see Djokovic... Um, I don't see Djokovic really struggling, to be quite honest with you. Kim, I just wanted to raise with you some uh, a record that has happened because of that that victory and Djokovic being in the quarterfinals, which, again, just sort of blew my mind. Maybe it will blow the, our listeners' minds as well. Novak Djokovic has now reached more Roland Garros quarterfinals than Rafael Nadal. That is... Very interesting, Joel. <laughs> well, well, hang on. It gets stranger. It gets stranger. Nadal has more Australian Open quarterfinals than Novak Djokovic. What's what's, what's going on here? What is going on? I suppose they do well <laughs> at the other person's, you know, slam mm. territory, but they don't go as far. So Rafa must have more semifinals uh, and finals, obviously, and, and the, the other way around, I guess. That is quite an interesting start. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, Djokovic is into yet another quarterfinal and, and seemingly, uh, you know, going to be progressing further. I, I still stand by that the winner of the tournament is probably going to 
you know, come from Djokovic versus Alcaraz in the, Not the semi-final. Unless it's a pass, yeah, can, can stick his oar in and, and upset the apple cart. Um, going over to the women's side, though, perhaps a bit more up for grabs. Uh, bottom half of the draw, the quarterfinals are set. We've got Arena Sabalenka against Alina Svitolina. Svitolina, sorry. And we've got Karolina Mukova against Anastasia Pavlichenkova. Um, so two very interesting encounters, actually. Sabalenka coming through against Sloane Stevens, one of Chris's favourites. Um, night seven, session. Six, six, four in the night session. Yeah, first women's match uh, to grace the, the night session on Sunday. Uh, what, what did you make of, of this one? Um, it's a bit, bit topsy-turvy, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, where, where to begin? I think... Um... A Sabalenka was, you know, started really well, started really aggressive, was overpowering Sloane Stevens, raced into a, well, I think she raced into like a five love lead, and you thought, oh, this match, this match might not even last an hour, and then all of a sudden something, something switched, and I, I, I felt that Sabalenka was, she was almost trying to rush things in my, in my opinion. I thought she was trying to get it done, almost too quickly, and as a result, she was just spraying. Lots and lots of errors about the court. Um, there were a few. There were still a few kind of winners in there, but so she really did let Sloane Stevens come back into the match and really make a thing of it in that first set. When from five love up, five love up, that really shouldn't have been on the cards. I think the disappointment from Sloane Stevens' point of view is that you know she had put in so much effort to come back into that first set to get it to a tie break from five love down was you know mightily impressive, but. Just not to kick on and, and take that first set. I think it would have been a very interesting question asked of Sabalenka's mentality, you know, having been in that position and, and have lost, um, you know, going into that second set. But that didn't come to fruition. And um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was very topsy-turvy, as you said. And um, I just don't think, you know, Sabalenka can afford to have those, those lapses in those, in, in these matches and you know rely on you know their opponent not necessarily getting the job done like Sloane like Sloane Stevens um just came up short but um yeah very, bit of a strange bit of a strange one i think for um yeah for for Sabalenka yeah and she will have a player in the next round who's very relaxed and just kind of proceeding through the draw mm. Alina Svitolina obviously coming back um, from being out you know having having had her first child she, she's back this is just her fifth event since since coming back from maternity leave she beat Dario Kazakina in straight sets um, I don't think we'd ever put Svitolina in into the quarterfinals I know she obviously won in Strasbourg just before the tournament but you know that's different to, to kind of going straight back into to Grand Slam mode but she just said she's not getting any sort of feeling any pressure she feels like she's 17 again coming onto the tour well, fresh I feel like she was I feel like she was feeling pressure towards the end of that match <laughs> against Kasakina because uh she definitely had I mean she served for it um did she suffer it twice she definitely served for it once and was and was broken um so I do think there's still I know she's a you know she's been in Grand Slam quarterfinals before she's been in Grand Slam semi-finals before but um, I do think there was a, still a little bit of, of nerves and a little bit of tension there that was sort of inhibiting her from, from getting it over the line. But again, just kind of sticking with it in that tie break and putting those moments out of your mind, that was impressive from her because Kasatkina wasn't really giving much away. She was, again, asking, I think, the questions of of Svitolina in, in that tie break. Like, if you're going to win this match, you're going to go and have to hit some winners and, and hit through me. 
which in the end she did but um yeah it was uh yeah it was impressive but it was certainly a fight towards the end yeah and also at the end of the match you know Dario Casacchina knowing full well that I guess Vitalina wasn't going to shake her hand mm. because of you know the nationality she just went straight to the umpire but the crowd did not enjoy that um and similar to the whole Marta Kostuk uh thing you know last week uh similar thing the crowd booing Casacchina um who mm. you know she said that she was just being respectful because of her opponent's position, you know, not to shake her hand. Um, and yet the crowd seemed to have kind of misunderstood what, what was actually going on, which is it just, a, a, again, a shame that it had to end that way. Yeah. I mean, she wrote on Twitter today, Kasatkina, leaving Paris with a very bitter feeling all this days after every match I've played in Paris, I always appreciate and thanked crowd for support and being there for the players but yesterday I was booed for just being respectful on my opponent's position not to shake hands so I don't want to get into it every single episode but I feel no. like we've we've spoken about the the French crowd being very hostile to to every single player regardless of of their circumstances and I think this was particularly upsetting particularly for for um Kasatkina because she's a player who's spoken out against the the Russian the Russian regime, um, mm. you know, she's she's come out. You know, she, I think she had actually kind of activists in her box as well. Um, she really is one of the few players, if if not the only player, to really be anti-Russian you know, in in her in her stance and and be kind of forthcoming with that. So, yeah, it wasn't. I don't think it was nice to kind of hear those those boos. And I I quite liked. You know, she did give a thumbs up to to Svitolina, and I think. To me, I quite I liked actually. She took initiative and went to the umpire as opposed to going to the net. So we didn't have this sort of awkward. I'm not going to shake your hand. You're not going to shake my hand. Let's move on. So I quite liked how that was her kind of strategy at the end of the match. So it, to me, it was like she had thought about it, and yeah, it was. Um, I think it was. It was unfair that the crowd had reacted in that way. Yeah, I think that was a bit unfair, and it's it is a bit of a shame that. They, they're not sort of cottoning on to, to mm. the context a bit more. Um, and, and, and maybe it's because you do get some more casual uh, tennis fans going to, you know, for a day out at the tennis like you do at Wimbledon. Who Kim, knows? I, I feel like you're not going to need to know too much context for the next match because <laughs> Svitolina versus Sabalenka. I mean, is it fair to say that's going to be the most, it could be the most... I mean, I'm I'm sounding like a, a tabloid headline here, but like you are. <laughs> that, that to me <laughs> is like thin, the Joel. most. I know that that to me could be kind of the most politically charged match, maybe since since the war since the war has started. We've got Ukraine versus Belarus. Um, Sabalenka still not really wanting to do open press conferences. This is a match to me that could be talked about more so because of because of context than the match itself. Yeah, I, I agree. But I, I hope the, the tennis lives up to mm. what I think you know, could be a very good match on the court. So let's let's hope there's no shindigs. Um, but, um, I mean, we have also Anastasia Pavlichenkova up against um, Karolina Mukova in the other side. Um, Pavlichenkova coming 
across Elise Mertens in three sets. And, you know, she was a former finalist a couple of years back, lost to Krachikova, could have won it, really. And uh, she's back into, yeah, her eighth Grand Slam quarterfinal. She's been out for a while with this knee injury. So she's down at 300-odd in the world. So this makes her the lowest-ranked uh, Roland Garros quarterfinalist ever, um, which is, you know, <laughs> pretty pretty cool for for her perspective you know to, to kind of have that claim to to fame i suppose but um you know she should be a lot higher ranked she should be um seeded here but she's obviously proving that um her performance of a couple of years back wasn't a fluke she's continuing her good form on the clay uh, but she will have a tough battle against mukova because mukova's also been in really good nick obviously beat Zachary in the first round and she won in straights over Alina Avanasayan um yesterday uh very convincing on court um in that one and uh I, I think I could see I could see that one going both ways Mukova Pavlichenkova I think it's just a shame from from Pavlichenkova's point of view her ranking is so low that she won't get into uh she won't get into Wimbledon without a wild card and it was interesting to hear in her press yesterday around, you know, have you asked Wimbledon for a wild card? And, and she sort of laughed it off and said, come on, you really think Wimbledon will give me a Russian, a, a wild card? And yeah, I just want to, I just wanted to ask you that, Kim, around, is that fair enough from, from Wimbledon? Uh, you know, if, if Pavlichenkova submitted an application for a wild card based on her based on her play and based on her good form that she's shown. She's not necessarily had the greatest of record at Wimbledon, which I think probably would count against her. But is that like a straight no? Do you think that's fair? Or do you think that should actually warrant a, a wild card, regardless of her being having Russian citizenship? I think she deserves a wild card in the sense of, I think her tennis, you know, she's obviously in good form and she's the sort of player that I guess wild cards are partly designed for, you know, for experienced players who are coming back from injury and, and need that helping hand. But I do think in the light of Wimbledon being so harsh and kind of mm. anti-Russian, I, I think it's going to be potentially controversial for them to give her the wild card. So I do think they're going to refrain from that. But then, you know, if they're allowing Russians and Belarusians to play the tournament, yeah. they shouldn't really be excluding them from wild card allocation. No. So it's kind of works both ways I, I suppose mm. um but i yeah i think she she certainly warrants it in terms of her tennis you know what i do i do as well it's a, it's a sh i think it's i think it's a shame and i mean we're also hearing about kind of visa issues um at the moment so uh, you know with with some players not even uh, you know russian players i think medvedev being one of them not receiving their, their visa yet in order to play the third grand slam of the year so um yeah it's definitely still like a I feel like a, a thorny issue with still kind of some very, very visible unknowns. And although we had obviously this kind of statement to clarify Wimbledon's stance earlier on in the year, there's still some things that I think that need to be addressed. And um, to me, at, at the top of them, at top of that list is is wildcards to, to Russians and and Belarusians potentially. If if we're letting them play, then I don't see, I can't see how you say you say no mm. to those to that situation yeah it's like don't you sort of going half half the way and, and not it's a bit hypocritical isn't it if, if not yeah i totally get that so it would be interesting to see what the all england club decide to do if if they're even considering her anyway because they might have a whole cohort of, yeah. of other players including brits um that they they might need to factor in but yeah well done to pavlachenkova for coming this far at the french open british ladies will need all the wild cards they can get i feel at the, at the moment in order to just 
get into the main draw. Yeah, and I mean, British players are having not the, the yeah, not the greatest tournament. I think we've only got Neil Skupski in the men's doubles yeah. in the quarterfinal left. Uh, the, the doubles guys haven't done particularly great either. Food poisoning seems to be a, a hot topic because it was Jesse Pagula and I think Jamie Murray also had to pull out of his, um, I think his mixed doubles match. Um, so he cited food poisoning as well. So I don't know, I don't know if Jamie Murray was eating the same uh, escargot of uh, of Jesse Pagula. Um, but um, yeah, unfortunate, unfortunate uh, way to end the tournament for him. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, not not great. Um, don't don't eat your snails in in Paris going <laughs> forwards. Or oh, couldn't imagine eating a snail. Just no. the thought of it makes me squeamish. Yep. So, um, but there we go. Let's have a look at what is happening tomorrow. Um, we've got the quarterfinals beginning. Of course, we have got that Mukova Pavlchenko match up, um, and then followed by Svitolina Sabalenka. Djokovic Hatchnov and then Alcaraz sits past the night session, which I think will be a, a, hopefully a great match. Um, what are you thinking? Give me some names. Give me oh, some names and in okay. how many sets? Mukova, three sets. Sabalenka, three sets. Djokovic, three sets. And Alcaraz, four sets. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> what about you, Joel? <laughs> I'm going to go Pavlachenko in two. Ooh. Svitolina okay. in three. Wow. Djokovic in four. And Sissipas in five. We're going very different there yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's, before we finish, let's uh, do a quick collect a set update. Um, it's been a bit of a bloodbath. Uh, yeah. Almost everyone was almost, yeah, out by the by the middle of the tournament uh, but runes is still going to, to mean we're all still in with it uh, with a chance <laughs> there's only one player to get two correct picks so far and that's tom bryant so well done tom um mm. you're the only person to guess yelena ostapenko correctly going out in the second round i don't know how he he managed to think that that was that was a thing against what was it peyton stearns or, peyton yeah. stearns wild absolutely wild very wild um we uh well out of me you and chris we we all got cam nori right but and so did quite a lot of other people actually um so cam nori so far is the, the only correct mm. uh pick for most people but yeah tom is in the lead so will anyone be able to um beat him and who out of us is going to get the slam spoon of shame we've all gone slightly different for holger rune so it depends on how he does i know and kim just to add maybe just to add something Thing to the slam spoon of shame maybe the loser has to eat some escargot oh that's a forfeit right. holger room better make that semi-final then because that's <laughs> what i've put and and i do not want to be eating snails she should have just stuck to her orange bag of doritos that's what i'm saying yeah Yes, uh, Doritos <laughs> over snails any day of the week. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, we'll be back. Well, actually, no, you're you're not going to be joining mm. us for our next catch up. But Chris will be back. Chris is on a bank holiday today in Denmark. I know. Uh, they seem to have bank they holidays. They just make it up as they go along, don't they? <laughs> uh, lucky Chris. Uh, but he will be back with myself for the next episode. We'll be wrapping up the quarterfinals. So um, we will see what occurs in the next few days. Um Sasha Zverev, just breaking news. Uh, they He is on court with Grigor Dimitrov and Sasha Zverev is four love up. So that oh, wow. match might well might not be as, as close as we maybe predicted. But um, yeah, we'll have to see how that gets on. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back in, in a few days time.
Yes, listeners, I hope you have enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from the French Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk and we will be back on wednesday at tennis weekly hq for our quarterfinals french open catch-up so i hope you can join us for that but in the meantime it's goodbye from kim goodbye and it's goodbye from me we'll see you again soon